Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 336 of your Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Road Back to Me, an interview with Adina Sampson. My name is Richard Johannesson. I co-hosted this episode with our friend, Cole Elbow. Folks, we had targeted Adina Sampson for interview on this podcast several years ago. And the reason we targeted her is because we're always looking for models that you and the community can use to help you through your journey. And Adina had actually written a book on the nine steps she would take, which she calls the nine principles to go back to herself or to help her through her recovery. So folks, without further ado, we're really excited to introduce you, Adina's nine steps back to herself. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tick Boot Camp. I'm your guest co-host today, Cole Elbell. And we have a special episode because this is my first time doing this thing. Number one. Number two, Adina Sampson is joining us today. And uh, she has some really, really valuable things that she's going to share with us today from her journey to her success to her struggle, the whole gambit. Uh, so I just want to open up by saying welcome, Adina. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, Cole, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. So the first thing I wanted to dive in with you is just the, like, where it all began. Because, uh, like, I know for me personally, it all began, it was, it was the summer of 2017 for me personally, and I started noticing, like, okay, I'm starting to have more headaches. I'm starting to have some nightmares that are, like, really wild. Uh, my neck is getting tense and I'm starting to shake like I have cerebral palsy and I was pretty young I was only 20 at that time and so that's when it started for me so in the beginning of your journey tell us more about that sure great question Cole and again <clears throat> I was going to make a bit of a joke thinking well where do you want me to begin right it's, there's there's so much but of course, let's stick to uh, where we're at at hand um, as far as for me, when the symptoms that you had mentioned um, kind of came on and where I found myself. Um, and we'll see if I can remember it fully. Sometimes, again, uh, there's some, you know, uh, holes, right, uh, and, and bits that I can remember and some things I can't. But as far as Lyme specific, uh, we're going back now to 2010. Uh at the time uh, I was in um, actually 2010. So yes, because I remember 2008 is when everything happened business-wise and the crash and then everything kind of subsequently went down from there. Mm -hmm. So pretty much one day I literally woke up with my right breast on fire. Okay, something wasn't right. Never experienced anything like it in my life. An infection in some way, shape or form. Of course, I'm going to the doctor. They're not understanding what's going on. At this point, days are going by. I've got full fever. Um, again, full sweats. Something's not right. And at yeah. this moment in time, I know something's not right. But I'm not quite sure what's going on, right? So that's really kind of where it started to answer that question for you, um, as short and sweet as I can, if that helps. Sure, that that does help. So, with with that, what would what would you say was your first move at that point? From what I can remember, again, um, I went to the doctor. They weren't quite sure what was going on. Um, at did the time, respond, did they respond well, or did they look at you kind of like you had three heads? 
Well, as we expand, of course, on the journey, yes, I had a lot of medical gaslighting, if that's what you're alluding to. Sure. Yeah, that's where uh, I put it. And the, and the PTSD that comes along with that, right, as we will discuss moving forward, for sure. Uh, so really, what I remember most vividly during this moment, that's the picture I'll paint for you, is I was literally in the hospital, having literally six nurses around me trying to stick an IV in me and not being able to have that happen or take place. I remember at the time, again, letting them know of, of some things that I might think might be going on. I mentioned Epstein-Barr virus because my mm -hmm. mom had, had a history of that, right? Again, mm -hmm. prior to what we are really told in the medical community is very different than we, when you have chronic adult Epstein-Barr virus going on. And they literally laughed at me in the hospital. <laughs> you know, 95% of the population has that. It's no big deal. It's mono. It's not an issue. But they wanted to make sure they tested me for HIV instead, right? So if that's what you're alluding to, I remember that moment very vividly. It was really scary. Uh, again, at the time, I was in uh, Hawaii at the time, away from uh, my family and friends, uh, having a relationship that um, was already having, uh, let's just say, on the rocks at the time, which, as you know, did not help the situation, right? A big part of probably the trigger for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and also in a damp environment, that I was unaware at the time that I was actually exposed to black mold. This was prior to me understanding it. Mm -hmm. um, so we had this whole situation. I remember literally vividly thinking to myself and praying to God in that moment saying, God, I'm not sure what to do. And literally the message was, how long do you have to bleed before enough is enough? Yeah. And um, so this was, it was really no fun. I remember uh, coming home with a pick line in me at the time. Again, they still didn't know what we were dealing with. This is before I flew to infectious disease in Honolulu, before they actually diagnosed me with MRSA, which again, I cannot say whether I had or I didn't have at this juncture, if that makes any sense, right? Um, again, so many places and spaces are not aware that yes, they do have Lyme. Yes, of course, the islands have Lyme, but of course that's not where they were looking uh, you know, or testing for at the time. Um, and I remember coming home, having a pick line in me, something happening between me and my partner, him walking out, me being on the floor going, you've got to be kidding me. And I remember that moment thinking, nobody knows what's going on. I, at this moment, it's probably been 10 days at this juncture. And I had this sense that if not now, then I don't know when, because I feel like I'm going to die. And I'm pretty sure that anybody who's been on this journey understands what I mean, when I paint that picture, it was something I had never felt before uh, in all my journey, even with being sensitive as a kid, uh, you know, to whatever was going around. Okay. That's part of my journey as well. So uh, a very scary moment for me indeed when it all started. Sensitive as a kid? Yeah. Um, I just, I had a lot of, um, I guess I've, I've got two younger, younger sisters, uh, mm -hmm. grew up overseas, traveled a lot. Um, you know, my mom, uh, my dad remember me having extreme high fever when I was around two years old, which has kept coming up, by the way, during my healing journey. Um, and we were at, in Thailand at the time. So again, really brings up the viral uh, co-infections and components, which, you know, hopefully we'll talk to talk to uh, in a bit. But yeah, it was just sensitive. And I, I remember getting sick a lot, you know, when I was younger growing up. Yeah. Sounds like it would have been pretty isolating as a kid, like to be, to be sick all the time and to also feel that way. 
you know, that's again, the, 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 the journey of isolation really is a big key component here for so many of us. Uh, you almost get used to it. You know, there's some great things about it. Again, we've had the tools to navigate this pandemic in a way that maybe most people hadn't. I've, I've definitely learned that, right? Um, yep. And yet, yeah, and yet um, that, that's where I think a lot of my strength has been built. Um, yeah, I mean, I, get, I, I wasn't severely sick as a kid. But I just remember catching everything going around, you know, uh, uh, had my tonsils out, you know, even when I was in college, right? I was getting sick every two weeks. So it was something that genetically, uh, epigenetically, uh, within my genes and the mechanisms that I had yet to discover on my journey that was already activating uh, long before I got Lyme, right? And I, I was aware that I even had it. Right. So I, I've heard you mention a couple of times the, the stressors and like bringing up your relationship of all the stressors in your life, like in, in your journey, what would you say is the one that had the most real estate mentally? I don't know. Okay. I'm going to maybe answer that twofold. Sure. As you know, Lyme is multifaceted in nature. Yep. And so my answer to that would be, it wasn't just one thing. Mm -hmm. The story I write in the book, the way I, I, I remember things, even my journey now, it's multifaceted. Um, I would say that it was a culmination of things. Again, the uh, triggers from the mold, again, to the relationship, to even being on the go during my journey for most of the time where I wasn't well, I was traveling. I didn't have a solid roof over my head all the time. So when we talk about what's the most, you know, the number one thing, I would say stress is right up there, right? We know this and it's multifaceted in nature. Um, you know, of course, being bit by a tick and, or I'm unsure because I'm not sure how, right? If we're not going into that yet, but but really, I wasn't there uh, walking through the woods and finding a tick on me or going, you know, gardening and having that happen. Right. I was unaware. And by the way, I ended up actually having the rash that came up on my shoulder, my right shoulder, interestingly enough, linked to that inflammation and that first sign on my right breast. And at the time, nobody put two and two together. That's why they thought I had MRSA, which again, I could have. However, now looking back, it, it seems very unlikely, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, and it could have been multifaceted. So um, I would say that my upbringing, um, the trauma I've endured, the survival even in my family lineage, all of that has led up to where it is I am today. And um, what I was used to experiencing out of life, um, I can't say that that wasn't a big key because mindset and healing that for me has become a huge passion of mine and is a big reason why I'm still here and standing today. So. So something I saw in the info that you sent over um, is that you are, you're, you're helping bring people to a place where, where you're leaving them better than they found them. And you talking about childhood just now, tough relationship, uh, the stressors. There was one thing that really stuck out to me that I, I, I want to hear a little bit more about from your end. And I think it's like really correlated with childhood and also correlated. I, th I think it's just really intertwined and, and it is the subject of codependency. I would like to hear more of what 
what your journey has been with codependency and what it means to you and yeah just there I saw that bullet and I was like I really am excited to hear Adina share on that Cole thank you because I think it's a it's um an issue a lot of people struggle with uh, mm -hmm. unknowingly again I'm not big on labels um and judgment the way we are taught to pass that on ourselves and our loved ones. Again, let's go back to childhood. What are we taught from our parents, right? From the kids at school, from our teachers. We are taught what we are taught because they know what they know and that's been passed down generationally. This is nobody's right. fault, mind you, right? And yet, even though it's not their fault, they did the best they could and it's not our fault. I really believe that it is our responsibility to acknowledge that if we truly want to live the lives that we say that we want to live, there's no other place to look, but back to ourselves and how we are showing up, right? right? And I know that's not easy for everybody to hear. This is not a blame. And I say this because I understand the PTSD that comes with those of us who have suffered from Lyme and with Lyme in the community. A lot of times we have this spiritual bypassing that I've seen happen. Um, from the new age community, let's say, and I'm not a proponent of that. I'm all about accepting our own humanness. I think that is key. Um, and when somebody says to you, it's a form of gaslighting truly, hey, do you want to just get over that? Or, you know, hey, we're acting out of love and peace, and yet we are really not authentic. That's what I noticed a big part of that on my journey. Okay. <laughs> and again, yeah. this comes from everybody's childhood that comes back to our coping mechanisms. That comes back to everybody's doing the best that they can with what they know, but is it truly doing it justice? Is it truly serving us? So codependency specific, just like mental health, I believe has gotten a bad rap. Unfortunately, so many people, and, and especially now with everything we've been through with the pandemic, if people weren't suffering before, they're suffering now. And to just gloss over it is not enough. That, that's not the way we uh, shift our perspective. That's not the way that we heal. We heal by acknowledging it. We heal by going, oh my God, I had no idea I was participating. We heal by making sure that it is no longer a stigma. Okay, everybody feels depressed, sad, angry. That's a big one, by the way, anger. Okay, and I'm big about talking about that. Lime rage is real big issue for me on my journey. So I'm stating this because a lot of times I think people have a, a bad a negative connotation to codependency. No, it's just something we use to describe what it is we're experiencing. Now let's use that to our benefit. How do we do that? So to answer your question, to circle back around, I was giving away my power coal and I had no idea I was doing it. Mm -hmm. And many of us, depending on our personality, it can go undetected, right? Um, you may not think that that would be something I was dealing with. And absolutely I was, and I really didn't get it. Even though I had the awareness, I've been on this journey for a long time prior, you know, um, I've always been into personal development. It's been a passion of mine. I didn't fully embody it at the time. Mm -hmm. And so again, grateful for the journey because it's allowed me to what, to see these spaces and places that uh, initially I was so stuck in the mirror of what I thought love was because of what I was taught and told, what I saw from my parents coming from broken homes. Okay, coming to the table, doing the best they can. And yet, what did they know of love coming from broken homes? They didn't get 
what they needed, their needs met when they were children. Okay. Of course. And, and by the way, their parents, my grandmother was a sole survivor of the Holocaust. So you want to talk about survival running in our bloods. This is a big issue when we talk about illness too, and what happens and how that is passed down generationally. Just the fact that everybody was gassed and killed. If it wasn't for her voice, by the way, that saved her in the camps and my grandfather who liberated the camp from the British army, I wouldn't be here. And I don't think that there's any coincidence to what I've experienced to even my mother and her experience of being very sick when nobody knew what was going on, having Epstein-Barr virus at the age of 30 and people looking at her like she was crazy and her having to seek outside the box, you know, uh, therapies to uh, figure out how to support herself. Um, sure. Very interesting. So uh, I know that might've been long-winded and as you can see, it's, it's hard to pinpoint, but I'm, I'm so passionate and I wanna make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm answering your question, you know, as, as uh, best I can. For sure. Um, so with, with, you said that you were, I think the best way to put it is abandoning yourself. Absolutely. And, and so at what point did that light bulb go off? Like ding, ding, ding. What am I doing here? And, and why is this coping mechanism? Why have I chosen this mechanism? Number one, number two, how was it a form of self-preservation? Yeah. How did I, like, was it that? And then the third point here is like, well, where do I go from here? Sure. So. Yeah. yeah. So um, I was the oldest of three. <clears throat> and uh, again, there is something to be said about the oldest and the role that you play. Uh, my ability to make sure that my sisters were okay when my mom wasn't well, when my father was traveling. Um, That's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. So I grew up real fast. So that's number one, ding, 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 to hold that, you know, to understand how some of the personalities right, and the patterns that we were talking about earlier with Rich, um, what's happening in the background initially prior to even, you know, having an experience like I've had. Um, and that was because of sheer survival, right? We have these coping mechanisms to survive. I became so sensitive to my environment. I knew exactly when my father was going to get upset. I knew exactly when my mom was, um, downplaying an experience, right? It was something that I believe my sensitivity that I was told, by the way, over and over again, uh, I was oversensitive. Okay, your thoughts are warped. These are the things that I was told when I was younger. I remember mm -hmm. it clear as day. Again, I say that not to be play the victim. I say that because these are key things that it's taken me up until this moment in time, even the last few years to truly recognize what was happening. The gaslighting I had experienced, okay, in my familial uh, dynamics, the role of the scapegoat. These things are really real when we talk about um, the psychology behind that, which of course we're not always aware of as we're going through this. We're just taught something's wrong. I'm never, I can never do anything good enough, right? Um, how do I survive? Okay, well, I become an overachiever. That's how I survive. I'm seeking validation outside myself, right? Again, it's the human condition, the sense and the need to belong. Again, not our faults, just a part of the human condition. So when we see that, we can circle back around and have a lot more compassion after the fact for not just ourselves. And hey, we this is how we survived as children. This is what allowed us to actually cope and get through and function. This was a good thing. The problem because uh, becomes 
when these patterns and cyclical uh, patterns of underlying limiting beliefs are playing out in the background in our adult lives. Because this is where the push and pull happens. This is where we say we want something and we wonder why we can't access that. And a big part of it is because our coping mechanisms and what we thought was the way to be is no longer. Our authenticity of who we are is beneath that, buried between seeking outside validation. So when we stop doing that, when we realize we are not going to get that response from the very people that we truly desire it from, and that we have to go within and say, okay, how do I trust myself when I've been taught that my thoughts were warped, that I've been gaslit to believe that I can't trust my intuition? This is a big part of the healing process for so many, is that we have to come back to going, what is the truth? Let me ask what I believe, is that true? Is it serving me? Let's call out the lies, number one. Let's shift our perspective and then reframe it because we have to take responsibility to do that. We make it a lot more complicated than it is, but that has really been the turning point is understanding that and then taking the steps, small steps at a time to get there to realize that my worth is, is not in anything or anyone outside myself. It is in ourselves, our authentic selves. Who we are is enough. There is nothing to be fixed. We're not here to actually be fixed. We're here to just remember the truth of who we are because it's been covered up by all these lies and these things that we were taught and told. So one of the most valuable things that I've learned in the past couple of years is how to combat limiting beliefs and also the importance of perspective and paradigms you know what what perspective does one have you know and and usually with my personal relationships with business relationships with my parents sister girlfriend everybody um it's important to me to seek to understand than be understood because then i'll i'll see their perspective you know i'll see their perspective and so when it comes to limiting beliefs and perspective shifts Tell me more about how to practically implement the rebuking of limited beliefs and how to practically practically incorporate a perspective shift. How have how have you done that? How have you how have you seen that done? Another multifaceted answer for you. So we'll do my best to break it down and then, you know. We'll see here, you know, which, which you'd like to uh, follow through with. Um, again, a lot easier said than done initially until we realize that really just a shift in perspective can make all the difference. For mm -hmm. example, let's just give an example. Let's paint a picture so people can follow. I'd like to use the example of the pandemic because we are, again, everybody has a difference of opinion with where we're at in that. And let's not go political because everybody's entitled to their beliefs. However, we are still in the middle of the pandemic as we speak. OK, and if people weren't suffering beforehand, they are now. What does that mean? People are in transition. Now, when you mention relationships, whether that be business or romantic, everything you just painted, as far as I'm concerned, life is relationships. And it's not separate in these separate categories that we separated in, as you know, relationships are life. And every time that we are going about our daily lives, whether that is in business or romantic relationships, the same people will show up 
maybe looking a little different next year or the next time around until we truly understand and gain from it what we're supposed to. Um, again, the more we resist something, the louder it gets, <laughs> right? And so if we're here in the middle of pan a pandemic, for example, and we're saying to ourselves, we don't want to be in this anymore. Of course, we don't want to be in this anymore. If we're expecting the storm to pass, we know that it will. It's not forever. It's just for now. It's not forever. It's just for now. It's not forever. It's just for now. So you asked how this is only one way for me as something I would say to myself, a lot of times we can see that two ways. It's not forever. It's just for now. Oh my God, we're going to lose everybody. Yeah. We've lost people. We've loved those of us who have been so close to death many times over understand the importance of living in the moment. When I went through the journey with Lyme disease, I will have to tell you, and it's many again, facets of multiple uh, co-infections, right? Not just bacterial, but viral in nature. Um, I went through a time in my life where all I had was the moment and I didn't have a lot of that present because I was out of my body, right? I couldn't cognitively have a conversation like I'm having with you. There's no way in hell. If we had spoken even just a few years ago, I could have. I couldn't put my words together, right? The person that you were speaking to now who once was an older version of me was no longer. And so it's not forever. It's just for now can also be supportive to us when we realize that we can turn adversity into opportunity. Right. Because I've had the opportunity to understand what suffering truly is, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. Agreed. And so if there's anything I can do or say to paint a picture uh, of the tools and the practices and principles that I speak about in my book, that I speak about because I live them daily, um, I will. And so again, to answer your question, we won't be able to do that all at once here, but there's many principles that, again, I discuss. one of them being my first principle, shift your perspective. That was the first step in changing my life. I could see that statement, it's not forever, it's just for now, as two different ways, positive, negative. Again, I'm not here saying, oh, just be positive. No, it doesn't work that way. You got to feel your way through it. You got to sit there and you're sitting there renegotiating with God, right? You're sitting there going, why God? This is what we're doing when we're in pain, when we're in a dark night of the soul so deep that it's not even an emotional feeling. It's an actual, almost a, 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 a it makes more sense that we're not here. Meaning if I'm not just, I wasn't just surviving Cole, I was merely existing. And I know that you understand this to your core. How then do we continue? Because I had to believe that there was a bigger purpose than myself at play to even get through the day. Number one. So Adina, let me let me ask you to pause for a second because sure. you and Cole are getting in pretty deep. And I, I'd like to give this a little bit more of a context. So sure. at the end of your journey, you decided to write a book. Uh, so yeah. why don't we give folks that context first? What's the title of your book? And let's talk about the nine principles because you're starting to build them out and i think we should give folks a context for that first sure well, didn't mean to get ahead of ourselves yeah Just and i get a little things. excited so i kind of go so you have to rein me in <laughs> exciting it's exciting stuff it is exciting so give, give us the name of the book and give us give us your give us your nine principles and then i do want to ask a question about beliefs and and um and the importance of beliefs in this context so that we can help folks understand what a belief is 
and, and why it's important to have beliefs that will serve us as opposed to beliefs that will not serve us. But let's let's pause there for a second. Let's start with the book. What's the name of the book? Um, and what are the nine principles that you built out in the book as a result of your Lyme disease journey? May I clarify, would you like the nine principles just in order, or would you like me to go through each one and give you a little snippet of each one? No, I'd like you to just give us the nine principles first, yeah, and then awesome. and then we'll start to build them out together, because you, you started okay. to build out principle number one, and I think folks are going to be excited to learn about that, but I think we need a little bit more of a foundation before, we, before you and Cole go as deep as you already are. That's a great point, Rich. Thanks, man. Okay, so you just want me to just give you the title and just go from there? Yes. Okay. Uh, so the title of my book is The Road Back to Me, Nine Principles for Navigating Life's Unexpected Twists and Turns. Uh, again, because I've lived it, right? Uh, we plan on life going one way, uh, and we've heard the statement that God laughs. And uh, then you really realize uh, it's true. <laughs> so my nine principles. Principle number one, shift your perspective. Principle number two, surrender and accept what is? Principle number three, move through the illusion. Principle number four, embrace your vulnerability. Principle number five, reclaim your power. Principle number six, lighten up. Big one. <laughs> Principle number seven, live for today. Principle number eight, ask and you shall receive. And principle number nine, have faith, whatever it takes. Okay, so now I need help with beliefs. So the two of you were talking a lot about beliefs, and I'd like to know what a belief is and why it is important for us to have control of what we believe when we're on this journey. Sure. Okay, so what is a belief? A belief is anything that we believe with passion, uh, with purpose, even without that, because again, this is what we've been taught and what we've been told. It's okay. what we duplicate. It's what we do many times without even realizing it. Mm -hmm. It is what is on automatic, right? An automatic uh, pilot is what you hear oftentimes. So to answer that, like I said, what is a belief? We can have a belief and then we can have a limiting beliefs. Right. So not every belief is uh, deemed limiting. And yet many are so much so that if we believe this, if we've been taught and told something over and over and over again, what do we know about neuroplasticity? Right. What do we know? We know that that is the way we've been trained. This is all we know. And so therefore, if that's all we know, our perspective that's all we are going to see from the projection that's coming from the movie in our mind, because that's all we know. Unless we are able to tap into and be shown a different perspective, a different way of maybe looking at something. Initially at first, even with resistance, right? Because again, if we believe this, it must be true. Well, is it? No. So again, it's getting past that initially, understanding that our beliefs absolutely make up what I would say 90% of our reality and what we are creating in our day-to-day -day lives. Okay. So, so now give us, give us more of a, an impact of why a limiting belief is bad 
and why a non-limiting belief, if that's what a belief is, or a serving belief is good. I, I, need, I need to understand what impact beliefs are having on me. Specifically, I'm on a Lyme disease journey. I'm not feeling well. I want to get to a place where I am feeling well. How are my beliefs impacting me? And how are my limiting beliefs preventing me from getting to where I want to get to? That is such a loaded question. I can only speak from my experience. If you want me to really go into where I've been with my journey and Lyme disease, first and foremost, it is very difficult for me to say good, bad. Okay. Because again, that's a belief that there is good and that there is bad. Um, yes. And sure. Again, I don't believe good, bad, and indifferent. I believe that there just is. And when we paint a picture of good or bad, that is a judgment in itself. Which... Okay, but, but wait a minute, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, you're, you're, you're using the word limiting belief, right? Sure. So limiting implies that it's not going to serve us. It isn't sure. something that we believe that's not serving us bad, or are you saying that's, that it's not bad? No, not... I just wanted to state that that's, it's a big piece of what I also teach is to just be very mindful that we're, if we're judging something, doesn't make it so. So, so again, again, maybe it's irrelevant here, <laughs> but you know, so, uh, so uh, again, if you could rewind and just have uh, maybe ask again, what it is exactly you want me to say. Yes. Yeah, so, but I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking to understand what a belief is and how a belief impacts us, right? Because you're, you were both talking about limiting beliefs and the implication was from the conversation that I was listening to yeah, so here's what I'll say. is that limiting beliefs are not helpful. And if they're not helpful, why? What what does a limiting belief do to you as opposed to sure. um, an empowering belief, if that's if that's the term that you would use? So I'm going to share another story with you because I think this was a big piece of my puzzle. Going through where it is I had been on my journey, I had an absolute limiting belief that I wasn't aware of, that I wasn't going to be met. And this meant in any way, shape, or form because I was used to being let down in some way, shape, or form. And I think this is a good example because I think a lot of people have had experience uh, in a way that they feel let down, okay? Very easy to point the finger and blame that somehow you're being let down and that's outside of yourself. If you have this limiting belief that you are not going to be met, then the thing is, you're not going to be met. That's what was playing out in my life, especially during the process of me not being well, when we go back to what Cole had mentioned earlier about the isolation being misunderstood, having the closest people to you not believe you because the test results are coming back with false negatives and everybody's going, well, the tests are normal. This is huge, a big part of the journey and the PTSD that so many of us go through. So, um, which is true. But if I also have this limiting belief separate than the medical and what is deemed, you know, uh, false negative or not, I am not getting the support that I need in the interim. And I'm not realizing that I'm my limiting belief is a piece of the puzzle. Okay. I had to learn this on my journey. And so I'm so grateful for this journey because I learned that a big part of my limiting belief that if I wasn't going to be met, that was showing up in every one of my relationships and especially my intimate relationships. I felt abandoned. My abandonment wound was screaming at me. And I kept finding myself in situations where I felt abandoned, right? If I'm in a Lyme rage situation, that's going to scare a lot of people. And I was very angry when I was going through this process. 
I didn't understand why people couldn't understand that I was doing the best that I could, that I was so sick half the time I didn't know what I was saying or doing. I wasn't in my body. Now I know that people do care. They feel helpless. They feel hopeless. They don't know what to do. And it makes sense now stepping back, seeing it from a different space and place and a perspective that there was part of my victimhood and my belief system that allowed me to experience some of these um, experiences in ways that were gut-wrenching and that I ended up pushing away the very people I love the most because that's all I knew. Okay, I'd rather push somebody away sooner before they leave. That's part of the abandonment wound. That's part of not being met. So again, how do the limiting beliefs affect us, irrelevant of where we're at on our journey? I think that's the best way I can answer your question there, Rich, is painting a picture through a story like that. So it sounds to me that you're arguing that we absorb these beliefs in part based on the experiences of the other people who are caring for us when we're young, part based on the experiences that we're having when we're interacting with other people, and they become these loops that are in our brain, which are which are controlling how we are responding to stimuli when we are going through life. Absolutely. And again, we have a choice. We've heard it before. One thing to hear it and one thing to embody it, right? We can react or we can respond to different things. How do we reclaim our power? So I have five steps that I mentioned in my book to reclaiming your power. What did I do? I said, how can people do this every day? People want to learn something they can take with them now. They don't want to wait, right? They want instant gratification, which again, it's wonderful that we want that. Unfortunate that we live in a world that way, because really, truly, if it took us this many years, okay, to uh, groom ourselves with this cyclical patterning, we have to give ourselves some grace to be able to shift that and practice and repeat the good, right? The beliefs that do serve us so that we can see a different result. However, there are things we can do in the moment to shift what we need to so that we can practice this almost automatically. If you're open, I'm, I'm happy to share some of that and what that looks like as an example in our day-to-day. -day. Please. Okay, so this is a good one, I think. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm, I'm hoping people can relate to this. I will tell you, it's been a big shift for me in my life and uh, I've gotta be vulnerable, like I said, in order to uh, share. And I have no trouble doing that. Uh, prior, I did though. And um, I will tell you, it takes a lot of courage and vulnerability to say, here's where I've been and let's talk about what we don't talk about, which is what's really key here. We're all in this together. We're not alone. People just are not talking about it. And that's why I'm just grateful to be here with you, uh, to be here on the podcast where you are actually calling out what people aren't talking about to support us moving forward. Um, so let's just say you might be one of those people, I don't know, maybe not, that are driving, okay, in a world where it seems to be that maybe the aggression and even the driving has gotten a little bit more uh, aggressive uh, during the pandemic, definitely after the pandemic. On the East Coast, come on, guys, even more so. But I'm hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> okay, so prior, and again, this is no, I always use a sense of humor. This is not to make fun of any uh, anybody else or anybody's condition. I would say, though, if you've ever been in a car, right, where somebody is a little too close to you, that's the nicest way to put it, okay? Wondering, hey, I'm going the speed limit and above. You got places to be. Why are you right behind me, right, up on my grill? Whatever it is, maybe they cut you off. 
it is very easy for us to go into a reaction mode right away. It's almost instant, right? It's fight or flight. It's animal instinct that is kicking in for many of us. Now, there are some people that I have to tell you I'm grateful for that have been able to say, oh, when that happens, I just drive slower, right? Or when that happens, I just do this. Now, a couple of years ago, guys, I could not understand what do you mean? You do, That's wonderful. I, I'm not sure I can <laughs> because I would have there's these reactionary moments feeling like I was going into a moment of Tourette's going, you gotta be kidding me, blah, 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 blah. Have you ever experienced that? Is that just me? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So five steps to reclaiming your power. Number one, pause. Number two, observe. Number three, witness. Number four, expand. Number five, release. So how can you practice that in the moment? Now, this works both ways. If you're going through a big fight with someone, if something happened and uh, you were triggered. And again, when I say triggered, I mean, maybe you wake up with anxiety in the, in the morning. Some people wake up with anxiety. Maybe you're, you, you deal with depression. Maybe you deal with overwhelm. That is huge right now. The best thing to do is what? Pause, observe, witness, expand, release. So there I am, I'm pausing. Okay, observing, uh, somebody just cut me off. Witnessing, I'm really angry about that. Yeah, rightfully so, okay. And does it serve me? No, is this what I wanna feel right now? No, expand, okay, and then release it, let it go. Visualize what it is I want to have in this experience right now. Now, this could take you a while if you really wanted to do some healing, right, from maybe another circumstance. But if you're in the car getting mad and you can remember to reclaim your power, P-O-W-E-R, and you have an acronym to do that, you can now do that really fast, right? Next time it happens, probably today, I don't know, just an example for us to practice. <laughs> Again, allowing ourselves the grace and the compassion that we are not perfect, to pretend that we are um, is not serving us. A big part of my recovery is actually being a recovering perfectionist, okay? Admitting to that, right? That, that, hey, this is why we're here to admit our own humanness. We get angry. It's going to happen. So going back to the storm and expecting it not to be there. It's not that the storm won't be there. It's not that you won't get angry. You are going to get angry. So I'm not here saying anger is bad. No way, guys. That's the problem. That's the belief that I believe we have to move through. Anger is just an emotion. And as you know, it's actually a very helpful emotion. If we yeah. understand that anger normally comes from, it's an after effect of hurt. That's the first thing. It's Boom. hurt. And then there's the anger. It's not, oh, I'm just angry for no reason. And let's talk about your inner child protecting itself in that moment. You get angry when you're backed into a corner. There's a reason. You understand that there's danger. That's the fight or flight. So the reclaiming your power, all that does is allow us to reset that fight or flight in that moment. And for those of us, by the way, that have a lot of trauma, everybody has trauma. It's just a matter of what extent. It's not really what happens to us. It's really how we navigate the process and what we believe about it. Right, Rich? The thing is, though, it's about saying a lot of times when we are going through the trauma, whether that be medically, mentally, physically, emotionally, physiologically, you know, guys, from even the way the mechanism works physiologically in our bodies, that we have a switch that kind of gets stuck there, especially those of us who have been through abuse, trauma, to the extent that we have. And so we have to reset our nervous system and be mindful of doing that more frequently 
and get used to that and everything then subsides. So this is just a tool in the moment to say, okay, pause, observe. Yep. Okay. Guy's a jerk. I'm being nice. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? Witness. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm angry. It's not serving me. Do I want to experience this? No. Okay. Release it. And what do I want instead next? And here's what I've learned. And here's what's helped me. And so many others that I work with is that that tool in itself, you can use in the moment and switch anytime you need to. And it's a choice in the moment. So again, it's not that you won't get angry. It's not that the storm is not going to come. It will. Just nothing lasts forever. And we have a choice every moment. Okay. And we re-choose. So example, any teacher or anybody that pretends they're a guru that is on the top of the mountaintop saying, okay, I'm here and everything's fine now is lying. That's not the truth. So I'm on the journey still, just because I've been, you know, where your audience is, where we have been does not mean that I'm still not on the journey. And as a teacher, we learn every day and we have to really rewind and say, okay, even, especially those of us who are, I was going to make a pun on your rich because you keep mentioning how you're such an old guy, <laughs> which of course is not the truth, but that as the longer we are on our journey, even more important to adopt a beginner's mindset. Okay. Because we are so stuck in what we think we know and what we believe about what success is or what this is, that that is the very belief and limiting beliefs that are getting in our way. And we have to reset. And especially when we have a moment of feeling jaded, or many uh, weeks and months and years when you're sick and you're going, I can't do this anymore. More importantly, in those moments to remind ourselves that again, there is reason behind this so that we can continue and get up for a, not only just another day, but again, all we have is this moment. So what are we choosing in this moment? Love yourself, forgive yourself. Do not beat yourself up. That's what we do. And so it's a level of coming back to what Cole said initially, loving ourselves, giving compassion to ourselves first, and then also the anger that we held towards others with all the PTSD that I went through on my journey starts to let go and subside and completely disappears when you reclaim that power and really have that compassion for yourself. Now that you're holding yourself, you're telling your inner child, you're reparenting yourself, giving your being that mother, that father to yourself that you never had, that you wanted. I know that we hear this, but this is the biggest piece of the work that I do with people is getting back to who it is they are, loving themselves. And then the way they show up with others just happens naturally, shows up by example, synchronicity show up, your whole life begins to shift and change and you see proof in your reality. And by the way, it happens instantaneously sometimes as you then commit to the journey and the personal, uh, you know, development. So. Okay. So now let's connect Cole. And I'm going to ask you to give us some, some thoughts on this from your journey, Cole. Let's okay. connect trauma, belief, and love. What is the connection between those three concepts? Trauma, belief, and love. Specifically, loving yourself as as Adina was just um, just building out for us. Let's start with belief because that's the core of it, shall we? Please. So, I would say like my biggest core belief that I still struggle with 
it's an ongoing battle. We're never going to be arriving. We're always a work in progress. The key is to show up. But I would say my belief is that I am not enough. That's a very, like, I'm not trying to invalidate myself, but that is a very common belief that a lot of people have because I come from a family that we have pretty high standards and you got to get good grades. You got to be a good athlete. You got to look good. You got to talk good. You got to leave, like leave good results with your job. You got to pay your bills on time. You got to have big enough savings. You got to like, whoa, it is a lot right there that is stacked against you. And if one thing's off, it's easy to believe Oh crap, I got a bad credit score. I'm not enough. Oh crap. I, I gained 30 pounds in 2020. I don't look good enough. I'm not enough. That is a perspective that I have grown up with that has been not serving me well whatsoever. And so when it comes to trauma, trauma can like it could kind of be that flaming arrow that comes out of nowhere. Usually trauma is like, you don't expect it. It's out of nowhere. That flaming arrow that hits you in your vulnerability. And so the vulnerability area for me was that like being a perfectionist myself, I was slowed down by Lyme a lot. That trauma, there's that trauma. There's that flaming arrow that stopped me in my tracks, which meant I couldn't work anymore. I couldn't make money. My relationship was falling apart. I, because I didn't have money and I didn't have work, which is like really big for men. Like we really want to be able to provide and produce and show up and, and like make a difference in all of those things. And also physically like, being unable to walk up the stairs where I used to be able to run seven miles at a time. Like that was the, the flaming arrow that just ripped me apart. It stopped me in my tracks. It's like, Oh man, I am not enough. And everything I do as hard as I try, I'm just not arriving. I'm not getting better. I, look like like a bag of bones right now like I just I'm like everywhere and that's when love love is that love is that healing balm love is the neosporin that first application of neosporin and bandages to the where where the wound is to the flaming arrow but then love is also it is a complete perspective shift and that perspective shift is hard okay it's very hard because to make that perspective shift of loving yourself giving yourself credit yeah go easy on yourself you know just because you can't go up the stairs doesn't mean you're lazy just because you can't put a cup in the cupboard two shelves up and you run out of breath 
doesn't mean that you're weak. You know, just because you can't finish a full four hour shift, which is like, I couldn't finish a four hour shift. <laughs> and like, I would originally saw that as pathetic. The way that I discovered to show up for myself was first of all, to go easy on myself, but then also address that limiting belief, that belief of like the limiting belief for me was, okay, this is, this is just how it is now. This is just how it is. And there isn't much that's going to change it. This is just how it is. And, uh, and it's going to be like this until the Lord takes me. Everybody, that's bullshit. Okay. The, when it, when it comes all down to it, that limiting the belief of this is just how it is. Mm -mm. I want to go back to Tick Boot Camp episode number 185. Lime does not own me. That was the shift in my mind. Lime does not own me. I want to be somebody that can overcome. I want to be somebody that is safe and that is resilient and that doesn't run away from my problems by trying to be perfect. I want to be somebody that is kind to myself and to my neighbor. The way that I want to love myself is the way that I'm going to try to love my neighbor. And if I was loving my neighbor like I was loving myself, my neighbor would move out in a week. You kidding me? So all in all, with limiting beliefs, with trauma, and with love, it all starts with the belief that, like I said up top, it's the core of it all. And no matter what flaming arrows come at you, whether it's one or 20, the love will be what heals the belief. Okay, let's love. pause there. Let's, let's pause that call because that's an important point. So, so right. Athena, what, what Cole is telling us is that he had this basic human belief that he was not enough, right? Right. And as a result of uh, believing that he was not enough, he didn't think he was worthy of love. Another basic human belief, right? And the two of you were talking a little bit earlier about the impact that um, gaslighting and we're not going to talk about medical gaslighting because you talked about both, but you talked about the gaslighting that you suffered during your childhood with different people telling you that you were not feeling what you were feeling. And as a result of not feeling what you were feeling, you started to believe that you either weren't worthy or you didn't have the capacity to, um, to have a body that will signal to you that you're getting sick. And if you're ignoring the signals that uh, you are getting sick, then of course you are not going to take the action that your body signals would encourage you to take in order to be able to prevent yourself from getting sicker and sicker. So talk to us about what impact that your childhood gaslighting was having on your belief system and what impact that had on you becoming ultimately as ill as you did become. Me. I'm no, answering. I'm asking. I'm, I want to ask Dean of that first. I was about to say, yeah, okay, so we're shifting to Dean. Great. Excuse me, I'm just need to. A... 
doing my best. Thank you again for your support. If this has uh, been up since 4.45 in the morning, and um, this is a lot for me even now. Uh, mm-hmm. And I hope that so far we're at least getting what we need. Right. Can and, you just set that up one more time, please? From yeah, so, and, and it's really cool that we're, we're on a you know, Lyme disease podcast because all of our listeners always show us grace because we know this is difficult to endure the amount of time that we have to endure. And of course, what we're doing is we're triggering really powerful emotions, which are also going to have an impact on us. So of course, our, our folks fully understand, um, you know, and, and are not only are our folks hoping that you're showing yourself grace because you need this pause, but you're also going to be showing, you know, they all want to show you grace because uh, they understand exactly where you are. So really the question that I'm asking you is, you were talking about being gaslit during your childhood, unrelated to medical guessing, or just being gaslit during your childhood where your family members were not uh, accepting that you were feeling how you were feeling. And they were encouraging you not to feel the way you were feeling and telling you that you shouldn't be feeling the way you're feeling. And of course, what that does, of course, is it builds in your mind this these false beliefs that Cole was building out for us, right? Now, specific to a Lyme disease journey, where you're not feeling well and you're not feeling well and you're not feeling well, but you're essentially either ignoring the feelings or you're not taking any action on the feelings and it's building up to a crescendo where you become immunosuppressed and you ultimately become chronically ill. Talk to us about how the little steps that were leading up to that were creating false beliefs in your um, in your mind and how that was negatively impacting your ability to intercede and prevent yourself becoming chronically ill. So let's go back to some of what Cole just shared because it, it really um, touched me <clears throat> to my core. So yeah, we know, again, the, the basic human uh, underlying limiting belief is I'm not enough. <clears throat> and again, my oversensitivity, which is what I was being taught then. And again, everybody did the best they could, right? This is just the way it was. Um, again, allowed me to second guess myself so much that when you're on a journey that the medical industry does not already fully recognize, going back to then again, whether that was when I was younger or now as an adult, the same loving people not being able to understand it because of that, this is compounding, is it not? Which is what so many of of the people on this journey that we've been on experience, which I believe is what you're alluding to, Rich. Again, the PTSD that comes with that. And again, when you're sitting there trying to figure out, God, I must be crazy. This is what you've been taught. I must be crazy. And now the tests are coming back this way. And I must be crazy because everybody's telling me this and that. And so you're at a place where you're not well to begin with. And now what Cole said, you're, you're already beating yourself up because this is what you were taught and told. This is what you've learned. Before you arrive to the doctor's office, right? I mean, look, it's, it's the false and the belief that you're not enough that is causing you to be immunosuppressed and ultimately to get sick. You get sick enough to finally get to a doctor. And then when you get to the doctor, the doctors further gaslight you and make you even sicker, right? Of course. And again, there's many facets to why people get sick. And I'm careful as to answer that because it's not just like I said, whether you get a tick bite or you don't or how this is transmitted. Okay, we could talk for hours probably just about that. It's again, what else is in the background from our limiting beliefs? What has set up? For this domino effect to take place is what I'm hearing because but, as you know it's multifaceted and it's not it one is, it, it's it is multifaceted but but, but Adina, we can't understand the 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 vast levels of this challenge unless we isolate the challenges 
one by one and build out each one. So I agree with you that it is multifaceted, but I'm asking you to focus on one piece of this, which is your beliefs and your false beliefs and how these false beliefs develop and how it ultimately impacts your ability to heal on a Lyme disease journey. Yeah. And again, that's hard to heal from a Lyme disease journey when you're already trying, you're not even aware that you have other healing to do from the, the background. And, and actually, let me rephrase that. Even when you are aware, because I still was on the journey. So even when you're aware, you're not quite sure how all of it pieces together yet. Okay. And so hence the victimhood initially, because again, why me, right? At first, this is the way we feel. There's something absolutely wrong and we can't figure out what which way is up and every time we, we attempt we're beating ourselves up again we have these underlying beliefs that are not helping any if that's what you're saying absolutely i'm just saying it's a domino effect and it hits hard and it's 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 it doesn't always we do not always recognize that all at once that's what i mean right it's little by little so right now i know for example that my sensitivity is my superpower not just because i've taught myself to now believe that right and to reframe what was once told of oh you're just too sensitive or let me give you this one oh god you're so intense yes now the difference was i learned from the very actually the beginning of even my journey to reclaim those pieces and to own what we call the shadow self to own that and go wait a second Yes, I'm intense. Yes, I'm sensitive and more than most. And you know what? Thank God. That's where we get into how that serves me now and how my intuition is so on par that I'm so grateful, thankful, blessed for. Yep. All right. But so now talk about how your power had been used against you, right? You said a moment ago, you came to believe that your sensitivity was what is your superpower, but you didn't always believe that it was a superpower. And the problem with being gaslit and, and the problem with being told that you shouldn't be feeling what you're feeling or you're not feeling what you're feeling is your superpower gets turned on its head and used against you. And yes. that's what a false belief is, right? Yes. And it used against us really of our own accord. So again, without placing blame anywhere else, but going, oh my gosh, because we now believe this and this is what's been ingrained, we start to act it out. And that's what, again, the cycle starts. That's what we see. That's what we believe. We can't see anything else. Again, it's almost impossible in that cyclone moment to do that. And so it gets worse and we end up, you're right, getting sicker and sicker because the, the person that we need to be there for us, which is ourselves, we're not because we weren't taught to be because we believed the lie that was uh, your feelings aren't important and you're absolutely off your rocker and you're crazy and I must be. And so it's just a constant back and forth, constant cycle for a while that you cannot uh, very often break out of until we give ourselves the grace and the ability to be honest for me, I'm going to be honest with you, Rich, it took me getting a little bit better symptom uh, from the symptoms itself, finding, um, again, with all the different facets I had to try because at the time, Western medicine wasn't supporting me, not that they're not wonderful and they have amazing, you know, tools at our disposal, uh, when we need it. But for me, it was not a straight line. It was okay. Now what? And it was going to every doctor who was doing something outside of the box therapy. What was next? And even with them, I was the anomaly. So it took me getting better enough 
to actually allow myself to make the choices that Cole and I were just talking about. And I don't know if this was the same for you in your journey, but we had to have enough light from the 24 seven pain cycle and the energy and the frequency that comes with resonating there, which is also a part, just par for the core in order for me then to just slowly, but surely choose to shift my perspective and see how else I can heal by realizing that some of what I was believing was no, no longer serving me. So Adina, quick question for you. The root, the root, tell me the root. What is the root of those limiting beliefs? What was like that first, tell me about like that first experience where that seed was first planted, if you don't mind. Well, but Cole, are you are you implying that there is a root, or is there are there a series of roots? Because really, the, the question is, you it's know, the whole garden. Well, but the whole isn't the whole garden a series of experiences that you've had during the course of your life, and because you've had a series of experiences, those series of experiences become these, these loops in our brain, yeah. which are, of course, yeah. what is our brain looking to do? Our brain is looking to have a shortcut answer to some yep. event that's presented to it, right? And what our brain is always yep. going to do is going to look back to those experiences we've had in the past. And if and if our you know if our brain, when looking back to doesn't find an experience in the past that is going to give us um a solution to the issue that's before us, it's going to trigger us into flight or flight, right? Yeah. So right. it's a series of roots, not a root, or am I well, wrong? I want I wanna I wanna I wanna the root system has to start somewhere. Right. Absolutely. That's okay. Yeah. Adina, what I mean, what I mean to say is like the beginning of the system. When did that start? Well, like, and and do you remember the event? Was there an event or was it a compilation? Because for me, it was like a couple isolated events where it was like, oh man, and they carried so much gravity in my heart and mind. And so yeah, if you could share your experience. May I, yeah, may I ask you, when you say that, do you mean specifically during your struggle with Lyme? Or do you mean remembering back to things in your childhood that you can't forget? Is that what I'm hearing? Back, yep. What back, was back, like back. where it all started. Okay. I'm going to answer you, as I always do, authentically with my energy and time right now, the best of my abilities. I'm letting you know that this is, it's, it's a lot right now. I have a specific method to my madness and the way I walk people through things because I know what works and how to get results right away now. Not yeah. always easy to do that though in this format. I'm sure you guys understand that. And I'm trying yeah, to do my best to follow. Here's what I will say. I, like many of people, I do not remember a lot of my childhood. I'm going to be 100%, 150% honest with you. And when we go back to the loop of trauma, okay, and love and everything we're talking about, that is not uncommon. So there is a lot that I don't remember, almost so much so that even my family sometimes laughs at me, right? <laughs> not unexpectedly, uh, because everybody remembers these pieces and spaces where I'm like, wow, that happened. And this is before the Lyme journey, before the brain fog, before you realize that you can't remember much now and you're actually grateful for it because it keeps you in the moment. <laughs> so, um, I don't recall one specific incident. Now, if we want to go a little step further and we want to talk about my soul, the essence of who I am, my frequency, the signature, if we want to delve a little deeper on that end, I know that in some way, shape or form, I'm sure I know that answer for you. 
I'm just cannot answer that cognitively in the moment from a remembrance space of, oh my God, there was that one time. I yep. really can't. Um, cause, because truly it was so many times compounded over and over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and just wanting to like so many, uh, uh, you know, other children do just, just, uh, be loved. Right. And get our needs met, which is survival at its fittest, which, by the way, our parents are doing the same thing when they never got it, when they had no idea what that was like. And so all they know is to repeat the same things and then try to do a, a few things differently and hope that that works. Right. And again, I think this leads back to also taking responsibility is not easy in the human condition, because if we take responsibility, each one of us knows that something will need to change and not just something but many things. Once we take responsibility for the way we're showing up in our lives and what we're creating, a lot of things fall away. We have to let go of people and situations and things that no longer serve us, which is extremely difficult when we have sought validation outside ourselves for so long in the arms of people who are doing their best uh, and yet have created a toxic environment that doesn't serve us and our health. We have to be willing to let things go, to crumble, to fall down. And I would say back to what you were going to speaking back to and into a few minutes ago, Cole, because I thought it was really powerful that it took you to hit rock bottom yeah. in order for you to have the compassion and grace and heal that recovering perfectionist within you, did it not? To see how harsh you were on yourself and then of course, how harsh you were being to others. Even when we might've thought of us ourselves as non-judgmental, it's quite amazing, right? When right. you're really just brought to your knees is the time and space where we're able to see it. Because when you come from a family like you do, that you painted, where you get good grades and this is what you have and these are the expectations, whoo, not easy. Now, good thing because it's instilled some amazing things in you that I'm sure that you are grateful for. And yet on the opposite end, it has allowed you, again, uh, you know, you, I believe that we choose our experiences. I believe that we even choose our families of origin. I believe, again, that um, there's so much more than what we see. And I believe this because it serves me. When we say everything happens for a reason, so many people could say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, why is that true? You can choose to believe it or not. Here's the kicker. If it works, then why would you choose otherwise? Why wouldn't you just believe everything happens for a reason? This is when the magic happens. Magic rarely happens in a controlled environment. And yet, Cole, so many of us, if we talk about the recovering perfectionism, what was that coping mechanism that worked? It was a sense of control in the unstable environments that we grew up in, because if it was unstable, we had no control and we couldn't survive. But if somehow we could control what we achieved, what we thought success was, how we were taught, not just again as a male, although I would agree with you even more so, even as a woman, I was so in my masculine when I was younger because I rejected the feminine because what I saw in my parents' relationship, I saw my mom as weak. I saw my father and their dynamic as, oh, I'll never have that. And guess what I did? I recreated the same dynamic. I became my father. Took me a while to have a few more relationships to realize, oh my God, now I'm dating my mom. Sounds kind of funny, 
But really when you realize, oh my God, and look at my mom's strength that I didn't see when I was younger, it takes us on this journey, as you said. It's not a destination. There's no ultimate anything. It's really, this is the best way I can paint it. One of my favorite quotes is by Vivian Green. Okay, and this literally sums up my life in a nutshell. Life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning how to dance in the rain. When we can get to that mindset, everything changes in a moment. That's how we overcome adversity. That is why we are overcomers. This is why you're an unbreakable spirit. This is why you're sitting here serving on this podcast, because you know there's something greater than yourself. And you realize that it's not about not feeling sad, not feeling like every day somehow you're just going to feel good enough. No, you just have allowed yourself the grace that you never allowed yourself. And now your relationships and everything around you are blooming. People are showing up to meet you. People are giving your care and your concern and your sensitivity that you always gave, that you never understood, that you thought was somehow wrong. And you've got now amazing people around you because you've decided to clear who sits at your table. You've decided to have boundaries now and say, no, I'm not accepting that love. That's not healthy. I choose this. And if you are not willing to do that, then I have to let go and say no to people and things I don't want to. And that is the underlying fear is being alone and isolated from the human condition. Again, from that sense of belonging that drives whether or not we have this experience or this experience. All right, Cole, so help us out. What is the difference between mindset and beliefs, if anything? So mindset, mm -hmm. mindset is, these two could be pretty, I think they could, be misconstrued because they're so close. Belief is the core, like I said earlier, and Adina shared that as well. It's the core of us. It's like what it's our perspective of ourselves. It's how we see ourselves. It's how we see or perceive the situation before us. Okay. Okay. Mindset. Mindset is, I think it must be with a plan. Meaning like, if you're looking at a mountain in front of you, the mindset could be, this mountain is so big and I'm going to die if I try to climb it because it's just so big. I'm going to run out of water halfway up it. You know, like that's, that could be your mindset of this giant mountain in front of you that you're going to try to hike. The plan being get to the top. Okay. But then if we can shift our mindset, you can look at that mountain and your mindset toward that mountain could be, okay, it's big, but I can do it. The way that I can climb that mountain is one step at a time. That is my plan. And that's how I'm going to execute. My mindset toward climbing that mountain is one step at a time. And so if you, like, it's all about vision. 
and the goal. And mine, my vision and my goal to overcoming this was Lime doesn't own me and I want to be able to show up. I want to be able to show up as somebody that loves themselves well, loves their neighbors well, and then anybody in my community, whether it's my church, my neighbors, my friends, my significant other, uh, the the goal is that I was going to be able to be, I, I want to be somebody that is safe, that is generous with his time and with his resources and is also hospitable. That's what I want. That is my goal. Now, how the heck am I going to get there? My mindset toward that could be, uh, this is going to be hard because that, that, that could be really hard to do. I'm going to acknowledge that it's going to be hard. But my mindset toward that is nothing is going to stop me. Okay. So, Adina, let's, let's follow up on this. Do you accept Carol Dweck's definition of mindset as she defined it in her book, Seminal Book Mindset? That is binary. You either have a growth mindset or you have a limited mindset. And if you have a growth mindset, you will be like Cole, where you believe that there is nothing that you will not be able to accomplish so long as you put enough time and energy forward. And every journey, even though it all may be a thousand feet away, begins with the first step. Or do you believe that you have a limited mindset where God has given you a limited set of capacities and abilities, and you will only be able to work within that box, right? So it doesn't matter whether or not you have a, it's a thousand foot journey. If you have not been given the skills and the tools um, to, uh, to uh, accomplish this, and you'll never be able to do that. You'll never be able to stuff a basket. You'll never be able to run a marathon. You'll never be able to. So do you, do you accept that sort of binary breakdown that, that Carol Dweck argues in her book, Mindset, where you either, you either have a growth or a limited mindset, and then your beliefs are essentially the matrix of different areas of your life that lead up to your mindset? And no one can see you, Adina, as you're getting your shoulders raised. Because, because I, I followed you a few, and then it got, and I went, okay, I can just answer this. I'm not sure how you how you, how you set that up. I'm just going to answer it the way no, so I let it, I'll, I'll come back to it again. So, so Carol Dweck's book argues that there are, that mindset is binary. You either have a growth mindset or you have a limited mindset. It's one or the other, right? And it seems to me that so, part of what you guys have been building out here together is that when you're being gaslit during the course of your life, and you come to this conclusion that you, um, you know, you are not enough, uh, that you're not, uh, you're not worthy to be loved, that you can't be loved, that you can't love yourself. That what, essentially what's happening is you're building into this limited mindset, and when you, and you, when you're building into this limited mindset, then you're 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 vulnerable to all kinds of illnesses, and specifically in this podcast, you're vulnerable to getting sick from Lyme disease because we know that Lyme disease is a is a is a uh, disease that is caused by a series of bacteria that that humans have been coming in contact with since humans have existed and we do have we do have software built into us that allows us to manage these series of bacteria until we can 
So let's talk about specifically whether or not mindset is playing a role in that, in your opinion and in your experience. Absolutely. And I, I completely understood now. Thank you. Because again, when you've seen the patterns of those that have also fallen ill, you also see that those who have, whether you say, call it a limiting mindset or they're choosing that anything is possible, can make all the difference. You probably most often see those who get even more sick. Uh, are those who are struggling again from that limiting mindset. So I believe yes, and it is twofold and it is a choice, period. Which means we can oscillate at any given time in our life and on our journey between the two. And I believe that a lot of people and most people do until they decide that they are no longer, vi longer a victim and this is what they want to live the lives they say they're going to, 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 to live. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, so you're saying it's a decision. It's a decision. You, you absolutely get to make it is. It's an absolute decision, whether we want to admit to that or not, we have the power. Again, we just keep giving it away, pointing a finger elsewhere. So that's, that's what, that's what you're talking about in, in principle number five of your book with reclaiming your power, right? Absolutely. By reclaiming your power, you are making a decision to believe that you can do what you want to do, correct? Yes. Do you mind me circling back around to some of what Cole just said to you by the one step Please. at a time thing? Please. Okay. Yeah. So have faith, whatever it takes, step nine, right? Starts off with a quote from Martin Luther King, which is what? I believe it's the first step. What is it? staircase i know this because it's in everything that i quote and of course I'm, I'm spacing on it now it's pretty much just setting up that all you have to do is take the first step so when we go back to what cole was describing which is this big mountain which is really what he's describing is overwhelm when we see the bigger picture any of us that have had a dream any of us that are passionate about seeing that through whether that be the initial start of this podcast for example anything if we sit in the big picture too much it is overwhelmed. We will constantly be in overwhelm. So what Cole is really alluding to, which I'd like to paint the picture this way, again, back to that life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning how to dance in the rain. Life is not about seeing an obstacle and saying, okay, I want to pretend it's not there. How many of us do that, right? Ignore it and it'll some go, sometime or somehow go away. Like we said at the beginning of the podcast, no, it only gets louder even if that, that means the illness at hand, okay? Mentally, emotionally, physically. It's going to keep showing up until we decide to maybe take a look at it. I really truly believe that the only way out is through. Meaning, if you were to ask or say, hey, would you trade the journey you've been on for anything else in the world? Absolutely not. Not because I want to go through the suffering again. I'm sure none of you do, and I'm sure the people who are suffering don't wanna be suffering. It's because that is what has led me here to serve like it has led you here to serve your journey so that you could truly understand the suffering of those you serve, Rich, right? By going through this experience yourself. And so again, back to that one step at a time, having faith, whatever it takes for me has meant a few things. I'm not alone on this journey. I used to believe that I was the one driving the ship. That's not the truth. I believe, and I, to this day, miracles happen in my life because of my co-creation with spirit, with source, with the universe, with God. Whatever your beliefs are is okay. Everybody believes what they want when it comes to whether or not there's a higher power than ourselves. I do believe, though, when you have an opening and that you believe in a higher power, whatever that is, okay, to you, that's where the magic happens. 
That's where the synchronicities happen. And for me, this day and age, the way I'm serving now, I no longer drive the ship. I may see the overall view, but I have to concentrate one step at a time. When I ask for guidance, I hear that step, I take the step, and then I'm shown the next step. Now, that is difficult because from the human condition, that's scary. We don't want that. What do you mean? And yet when you get used to that, that's the way everything unfolds. That's the way that we're able to navigate forward and we're able to stay grounded and yet flexible in the storm. So at one point we might've been toppling over, right? Because we're so used to the back and forth and the emotions and the roller coaster. And by the time you are able to take it one step at a time, there's no longer overwhelm. The anxiety is gone because you're just taking it one step at a time. And that comes back to the trust in ourselves that we had forgotten along the way, that we learned along the way, the grace and the ease. Cole was talking about not just that you have a goal, Cole. For me, it's it's almost eradicating that goal. It's just shifting our perspective and saying it's no longer what we thought it once was. That's it. That's all it is. When we talk about surrender and accepting what is, it's not about saying, okay, I'm accepting, uh, you know, you're saying you're going to beat line and blah. Of course, it's not about um, waving the, the flag of surrender. It's truly about, um, it's not about giving up, right? Or giving in. It's about giving uh, giving over. That's what Judith Orloff says, right? One of my favorite quotes. And, and she's, she's wonderful when it comes to uh, healing from, you know, uh, you know, this, this perspective. So I talk about it in a way that at some point you had to surrender and realize here I am, here I be. I'm not the straight A student. I'm not living in my perfectionism. And that was all par for the course. It was meant to be that way. So we could learn exactly what we needed to in the moment. And so it's not a giving up. It's a giving over. Okay. There's reasoning behind this. Everything happens for a reason. Sure. The hell can't see that maybe right now, but I'm willing to, that's a start. That's the first step. That's it. And then you keep taking the next step and the next step. And then you go, wow, truly, it's that simple. It's having faith that you will be shown the next step. And that now that you trust yourself so well, because you know your guidance system, right? For me, a big part of one of the gifts of being sick was actually understanding how sensitive I was in a good way that would that was working for me, right? And through me that I was not willing to see before, that I couldn't see before. And how much of a blessing it has been that now I actually know where my true north is. I know now when um, somebody is, uh, I'm in a, in a position dealing with a narcissist, for example, I know that the red flag is there. I'm not ignoring it anymore. It's it's truly truly a, a, a big blessing, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. So, so you use the word courage a lot in your work. Uh, yes. Talk to us about how you define courage and tie that to what you just taught us, because I, I I see that really powerful connection that you're building out. Sure, I mean courage. What is courage? <laughs> Being able to sit here and even express any type of vulnerability is not what we're taught right? Let's just say that. So let's talk about my principle four, embrace your vulnerability. What does that, this mean? And what does this look like? What are we taught out there? We are taught that what express asking for help is weakness. Are we not? I know I was, I know I believed, I thought it was a weakness and growing up in business, I sure did not get as far ahead as I could have if I was able to ask for the help that I needed without feeling like somehow, number one, I was going to be a burden. 
That's a belief, limiting belief we have. What other beliefs do we have around asking for help? Number two, oh, it's a sign of weakness, right? Uh, number three, this is a big one, hook, line, and sinker. That was huge for me growing up. Okay, I'll give you this tit for tat. And then you know there's definitely going to be a hook, line, and sinker. So the fear that is linked to asking for help is linked to all of these, like I said, uh, fears that we have or limiting beliefs that we have. And the thing is, though, if we do not know how to receive if we are givers and overgivers, which links back to the codependency we talked about before, then all we know is to give and overgive. And then we attract takers and the pattern begins, but we don't know how to receive. Now, here's the thing. If we want to create any wealth in our life, there's no way we can do so and manifest the abundance we say we want. If we have no idea how to receive, we weren't taught that. Well, what does that look like? I'm used to giving and overgiving. My journey was that I gave from an empty cup. I kept giving from an empty cup. So the point is to just circle back around. What is courage? Courage, number one, is to be able to even look at yourself with grace and say, oh, wow, this is not serving me. And oh, wow, I can be curious. I can lean in and be curious. It doesn't have to mean anything. I don't have to beat myself up. And, and to be, again, to shift your perspective and understand it's going to happen again. And when it does, this time your bounce back is a lot easier. Courage is really just showing up like Cole said. That's what I loved about what he said. It's showing up anyway, just as you are. Hey, it doesn't matter if you haven't washed your hair in a few days, because I tell you, when you're on this journey, you don't. When you can barely get out of bed, and like he was saying, you can't even make yourself a meal in the kitchen, and that's all the energy you have for today. That is courageous. I just want to really be speaking to anybody out there who is going through this journey specifically or who has a loved one who is. You are already being courageous by asking different questions, by going beyond what is being taught and told out there to understand when you have that intuitive hit that there's something that is missing that is not being talked about in the medical community that we have to gain access to, that we must teach ourselves to have the grace to maybe stand back and put yourself in your loved one's shoes and what it would be like to suffer and not know where to get the support that you need. Um, I think that these are just key pieces. Courage is just showing up as you are without the mask, without all of the stuff we think that we need to be accepted in life. And just being who you are is enough. Who you are is enough at your core. Back to you, uh, uh, Cole, right? At your core, that's it. That is courage. One small step at a time. And I'm sorry, I know I got off track with the vulnerability, but I think this is so important that realizing that we do not have relationships in life without vulnerability. And yet we teach, especially in business, don't show, don't be vulnerable. Right now you're seeing a paradigm shift and you're going to see, and you're already seeing that vulnerability is actually the very thing that connects each and every one of us. So when we tell story, like Rich was saying, the reason and how we tell story and we connect with people and their emotions is, oh, my God, what she's saying is just like where I've been. Oh, my God, I really am resonating with Rich and where he's at or Cole because I've been there and I'm so happy he's sharing his story because now I know what at the root, Cole, I'm no longer alone. I thought I was alone. Now I know I'm not alone. All we want and need is to be seen, heard and understood. We long for community. And the ability to just know that we're not alone. And when we have that community and we have people who are choosing rich, their mindset, 
then the momentum happens because then you are now choosing a different frequency, a different vibration around people who are sensitive, who are passionate, who are intense, who are doing amazing things in the world and who were taught the very things you were. And somehow they're living lives that are healthy and wealthy and abundant because they are choosing it. You are not alone and that you've got people rooting for you. We are here. This is what has helped me. And this is what I, I, I believe so firmly in what it is. I'm, I'm um, my example and me just speaking about it vulnerably, uh, vulnerably so that people get that we are on the journey too. If we can't do that, there is no connection. And people don't, by the way, everything is sales. People don't buy what you're selling. They buy you. It's simple, right? right? Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So embracing your vulnerability was a huge one for me. And male or female, I think it is, you know, uh, even harder, again, because of what you're taught and told. So many of us were taught and told uh, when we were younger, you don't cry. Remember that one? Oh, no, 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 no. Now, that's a huge, again, belief, limiting belief. And then the way we've learned to cope in our lives that have really held us back, male or female. It's the vulnerability and you aligning with the emotions you have felt along the way, Cole, wouldn't you agree, that have been the very thing that has set you free. Right. And as I said earlier, seeking to understand and be understood, that just like cuts through so much. And if you are, if you and the other party both are on the same page of understanding the importance of vulnerability, seeking to understand the other party while they're vulnerable, and then you seek to be understood in your vulnerability makes the process, whether building in business, building in personal relationship, romantic relationship, siblings, doctor, I don't care, it's going to take you to the stratosphere. Isn't that the beauty in it? When you talk about that love piece, isn't that where the love comes in? 100%. Yeah. So yeah. then I'm going to ask my final question before Cole gets to ask the final question of the podcast. And you've both been so generous with uh, with your time. But I want you to talk to us a little bit about Ask and You Shall Receive, uh, your principle number eight. And I, I want you to color that in the context of what Cole was sharing with us when he was arguing uh, that he felt he was not worthy right? And what impact does not feeling worthy have on your ability to even imagine what you should ask for, no less believing you're good enough to ask? Yeah, it's a big one. Again, when you're not understanding how to receive in the first place, again, it's a little tricky. You're not, you're not aware of that uh, in the interim. And it's setting it up again because right now it's it's my it's my lights and my time. I'm I'm I understand I'm, that you've been with us a long time and you've been so, so great. But, but so great. I'm so right there. So do you mind? And thank you. Yeah, not, not, so at right not at all. Not at all. And again, our, our listeners always show us grace. We, we understand uh, they understand where we come from. Right? Your, your principle number eight is uh, ask and you shall receive. So why don't we set that up first and then I'll and then I'll ask the second piece. So can you describe for us what do you what you mean? Um, that you had to learn on your journey to ask and you shall receive. So let's build out that principle. And then I want to, I want to attach that to what Cole was teaching us a minute ago. So again, let me preface it by saying just because we ask 
doesn't mean we're going to receive it in the way that we think we should be receiving it. The way that we actually think it should be laid out in front of us. Hence the actual, uh, uh, the humor in it really. <laughs> uh, because I really believe that when we ask, we always receive. It's just that we have to be able to see and be open to receiving it in order to tap into that frequency, that vibration, and then experience what it is we say that we are wanting. So I think, I hope that that answers your question more thoroughly that, yeah, that principle asking you shall receive is really based upon all, like I said, the beliefs that we've carried with us about what it means to ask for help, right? Okay. And, that, and that's, it's a really important principle that you learned and you teach. Now I'm asking yes. you, if you have the mindset that Cole had at one point on his journey where he didn't think he was worthy, and if he didn't think that he was worthy, how is he going to have the ability to ask? And if he doesn't have the ability to ask because he doesn't think he's worthy of asking, how is he going to receive? Well, it's one step at a time. And again, it takes practice. So you have to lean to, into that curiosity. First, we have to what I always do in any part of my work in every principle and in everything that I walk people through when I do even my programs, there's a mythology, you know, a, a mythology for a reason. And we start with first understanding what the limiting beliefs are regarding why we can or cannot ask for help. So we, most of us are not aware that we have them. And if we are, we're still not hundred percent clear. So it's like uh, bringing that light into the wound that Cole was talking about. We have to shed light first. We have to be willing to shed light into the shadow selves of ourselves and then be gracious and compassionate and curious to go, okay, well, if that's not the truth and that's what we now believe that in itself is healing already. So many people are already having aha moments in that moment. Then the next step is to be curious and go, okay, let me practice this. Why don't I practice asking for help with a stranger? For example, let's see how that goes. Let me practice asking for help um, with someone that I'm not normally able to do. It's very excruciating. It was excruciating for me. Okay. This is a big one for many people. And we go through it actually in the challenge that's coming up. And it's amazing what comes up for people. It's about understanding who it is. You are your mechanisms, where you respond from, and then reframing it and practicing and doing it differently. You do that enough. And even just a few times, it becomes almost auto magic, not autopilot, but it goes from autopilot to auto magic. Also, even accepting, you know how a lot of times we may not ask for help, but people will offer their help. And more often than not, we will never accept it or we don't take them up on it. Why? Again, back to the same beliefs. We're going to be a burden. Oh, we're too much. Oh, we're, you see what I'm saying? But this is not the truth. So we have to first break that down in order to realize that that's not serving us and step out one step at a time to do something different and go, oh, it wasn't too bad. It's all about everything I teach is all about leaning into the uncomfortable. So back to that courage statement, back to every single principle, there's a, 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 a point where we, we talk about this from an awareness perspective, but then we have to fully embody it. Once you do that, your life changes and you fully embody it by leaning into those uncomfortable spaces that we don't want to lean into. So when you get used to doing that, that's why life gets becomes exciting. You become curious. You realize that you're not at fault when you're angry or you're not at fault if you've forgotten something. You don't beat yourself up. You just go, okay, so what's possible? 
What can I do here? And you get used to those uncomfortable feelings being something that is good, being something that drives you forward, that moves you through. The emotions are just a signpost, okay? And then you get to ask for help and you go, oh my God, a stranger, I asked and I received. Here's the thing, if you don't ask, you don't get. And I tell a story in my book about me actually at the time, this was right before I got sick. I literally left Vegas, packed up everything into three duffel bags and my guitar. I knew nobody in Hawaii, bought a one-way plane ticket, and I said, I'm out of here. And this wasn't because I was running away, although at the time, I was extremely stressed, a major workaholic, not a surprise, right? These things I had to heal. And I just had a calling. People go, what do you mean? You got a call on the phone? No. I just knew I had to go. And it wasn't because, oh, it's paradise. No, I was just told to go. So I did. And that was the first really for me of my curiosity and really leaning into, it doesn't have to make sense. Follow what you are feeling and things will unfold. And this was before they started charging extra for the bags. I don't even know if you could, if you, since you're so old, Rich, if you could remember this. <laughs> and I remember like showing up with all this, I'm moving, you know, what do you, what do you mean? You know, and I wasn't prepared for it. And I asked, this was my practice at the time, right? Again, asking, hey, would you mind waiving the fees for me? And sure enough, sure, that's no problem, man. We're happy to do that this time. Oh, wow. If I hadn't done that, it wouldn't happen. My point was there's so many more stories like this that you probably have noticed on your journey. Not that the people around you don't help you, but that it's amazing. More, most often than not, it is mere strangers that will show up whenever they're supposed to, that literally can't wait to help you. And when you realize that people actually are being called to serve as well, and that you are accepting a gift by even asking and accepting their help, we have to understand it's a shift in perspective in that moment that doesn't mean we're a burden. It's not a weakness. We all need help. And in order to receive, we just have to shift our perspective, be curious, and lean into the uncomfortable to test things out, to then get the proof that what we believed is not true and to keep leaning in to find the magic of what life can bring. So courage is really doing it, even though you're afraid and even though you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Exactly. So courage is not uh, the lack of fear. We're not saying don't have fear. Uh-uh. Sorry. I definitely don't believe in that one. Again, part of the human condition, right? Fear happens. It will it's just a part of it. Accept that. Acknowledge it. Just like the depression, the anger, the anxiety. Understand this is just what happens. Now we get to choose what we want to experience in the moment. And then we just keep re-choosing. So courage is not the lack of fear. It's moving through it. Irrelevant of your circumstances. So Cole, I promised Adina that we would only take up 90 minutes of her time and we're already two hours in so uh, so that I can at least have some credibility for a future podcast with Adina. Can you ask her the final question of this podcast? Final question. If all you had was the moment right now, if all you had was the moment, how would you spend it? Exactly the way I'm spending it now, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> it's exactly where I'm supposed to be right here in this moment with all of you. And I know that with every ounce of my being. And there's no place more important than I need to be 
than here, even though we do feel at times that we do have to be there or our commitments that we have. Here I am. And I, and I would also say thank you. I would thank you for your presence, um, for you sharing your story with me, for um, being vulnerable enough with me to let me into your world to see the beautiful reflection that you are, Cole. Um, I truly don't say that lightly. It is truly an honor to be here with each and every one of you. Matt included. I didn't want to leave him out <laughs> here. Okay, Rich. Um, because I know that we were guided to be here today, meaning you guys go through so many people that reach out to you. You guys choose based on, again, what you are being, I believe, what is coming through in the moment, right? Meaning you do your best to get to everyone, but you can't. And I believe that when it's in alignment, we come together because it's meant to be exactly the way it needs to be right here, right now for the right people who are going to hear this podcast and who are longing for a sense of community and just wanting to know that they are crazy. They're not alone, that they are enough, that every part of their pain is taking their pain to purpose, that there is a purpose in their pain and just to keep moving forward, to hang on for another day, to choose in the moment the best you can, even if it's not what you think it should be. It never really is because think being the key word here, right? To realize that you are enough the way you are. And I am just so grateful to be able to know that the amount of suffering I've been through, if there's anything I can do, say, give my time and energy to that can help somebody not suffer as much to the extent that I have suffered, then I am here living uh, in just the way I am as I am and the way it should be. And I'm extremely grateful and thankful for the healing on so many levels. And, and that was a beautiful way to end the podcast, but I don't want to end without giving our folks an opportunity to learn how they can work with you. So, so Dana, can you share with our folks uh, as a way of winding down this podcast, um, what are the different ways folks could work with you um, either directly um, uh, with any one-on-one -on -one work that you do or indirectly with any of the other materials that you've developed uh, that folks can tap into? Sure. Uh, I just I'm, I just want to make sure you're asking me probably about, you know, where they can get a hold of my website and, and just follow me on social media. Or, or any, any of the other, uh, I'd like you to sort of give some details on, on how you're uh, making yourself available to the community. Uh, yes, through your website, which is one of the ways they can contact you, but also let them know what they could find on your website in ways that they can work with you by way of products or, 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 um, um, any kinds of offers that uh, you're making to the community. Right. So if we want to stay connected, there's many different ways we can do that. Again, on my website, adinasampson.com, uh, there's quite a few things that I have available. One, as you know, the book, right, that we've just discussed, uh, the principles in the book, my story that I tell of my Lyme journey specific so that people know they're not alone, the resources we give at the end of the book, uh, again, the book is available in all different formats on Amazon, uh, in print, uh, you know, so soft copy, hard copy, audiobook, uh, you know, so whatever floats your boat. And, and I do want to congratulate you. I know, I know you, your book is a bestseller in a number of different categories. I think it's maybe 12 or 14 different categories. So congratulations. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. And again, this has been a growth journey for me too. You know, people wonder, well, how did you write the book? I will have to tell you, Rich, you might be interested in this, that again, it wasn't, oh, I'm going to write a book. Hey, look at me. No, no, no. It was, oh, you want me to write a book? I thought I missed my boat. COVID hit. And oh, it's now. Oh, that's oh, okay. Okay. I guess we're going to do this. Right. And then you realize, oh my God, I just shared my blood, sweat and tears. I've just been vulnerable. And now people are, oh, they're reading it, right? So it's been quite the journey. And um, I knew I didn't and I couldn't wait. It was just something that had to be done because so many people needed it. And I'll tell you right now that the confirmation came when I got an email from a guy in India who literally said, and this at first, this was one of the first you know conversations I had with somebody with the book. Um, I, I saw your book on Amazon. I was praying to God last night because I am now homeless and I'm in my car and here's what's taken place. And all of a sudden your book was, uh, you know, there and it was during the promotion period. And I feel like your book was written for me. And I just went, right. It was like that moment. And then succession has followed so much from then that we have had so many people reaching out um, about where they're at in their lives and how this has supported them, that of course this has grown into a community. Uh, I've got a Courage to Thrive group in and on Facebook that we are currently prepping for a challenge, a 10-day challenge, a free challenge that starts this coming Monday, January 16th. Again, that's free for everybody to attend where we really go through each principle every single day of the challenge. We set the stage. We have speakers from all over the world joining us in the mindset arena who are unbreakable spirits, are handpicked truly. I'm not bringing on people who have had major success and are stuck in their egos. No, I'm bringing on people who are serving because of the challenges they have overcome, not the lack thereof, which is very important to me. So we also get to hear their inspiring stories of taking their pain to purpose and how they're serving now because, again, of the obstacles they faced um, and why it's so much, you know, it's so important to have the courage to thrive and to lean into these spaces and places uh, of overcoming adversity and turning adversity into opportunity. So that's a wonderful way for people to get involved. If they'd like, they can visit courage to thrive challenge.com. Again, there's we're only 72 hours away. We'd love to have you. It's a safe space and a place that we really, by the way, do not play surface. We dig deep. We have some fun. It's an amazing journey, um, as well as I also have, of course, a program that I have developed specifically from the principles in my book. Again, the principles that have saved my life that I still continue to practice daily. And this goes a lot deeper than, of course, a challenge could ever go, where you're able to work with me one-on-one uh, -on -one, as well as in a group. So I have both programs available. And again, everybody can find more about that by going to my website, adinasampson.com. And there's links to the program. Our next group program actually starts uh, spring. Uh, so March 8th is the date that we have set this spring. And again, this year, the results that we have had have been truly exceptionally heartwarming beyond measure. And I don't say that lightly. You don't have to wait 12 weeks to have the actual uh, breakthroughs. They happen during the challenge. They happen right away. And again, this is for 
you know, men and women, of course, uh, normally the ages range from 35 to 65, but of course, everybody is welcome, all nationalities, all backgrounds, uh, whether you've been suffering, like I said, with a health issue, or whether you're going through maybe a divorce, again, a change in your career, uh, we really allow you to just remember the truth of who it is you are, and we take you on the journey from be, embody, amplify, and thrive. So it's the courage to thrive. And it's really spelled out in a way that people can take time. And we go through every week digesting the material and really having time to actually be out and about in life as we actually practice this. A lot of our aha moments and awareness has come not when we're listening per se, right, to, uh, you know, the tidbits that we pick up along the way, but when we're actually living our day-to-day -day lives and we're able to practice that and put that into action. So I would, you know, invite anybody to check out what we're doing and, and happy to support you in any way that we can, truly. Well, Dina, we can't thank you enough for the brilliant work you're doing for this community. And Cole, on behalf of Cole, Matt, and of course, myself and the entire Tickwood community, thank you so much for taking uh, so much of your valuable and brilliant time uh, to share your journey with us. We appreciate oh, you. Thank you. I appreciate each and every one of you. Such a pleasure, truly. Thank you for listening to your Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest, Adina Sampson. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Adina Sampson, please visit our Instagram page at Adina Sampson. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past guests on this podcast. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com forward slash bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library for almost 350 episodes, subscribe to our email list, or share feedback, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.